Turn with me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be continuing on in our sermon series called Above and Beyond as we're looking at these difficult situations in life where God calls us to something better and bigger than what we think is even possible. Because when we see these situations, we think all bad, all bad, all bad. And yes, there is all bad, but we also have been looking at the fact that these sins did not originate at the vastness of what they are. They started as something simple and small, and then they grew out of that. So today we're going to look at something uh, a little bit, uh, well, it's actually the next step. Because we first we talked about life, and about how murder, the main issue of that is life. We talked about adultery. We talked about the fact that the main issue of that is love. Today we're going to take the third step in this. The passage that we're looking at starts in verse 31, and it's really just two verses, 31 and 32. It says this, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's what the Old Testament tells us. It was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him send her away with a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for reasons of unchastity makes her commit adultery. Remember that, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So I want you to see here what's taking place is that we talked about life and we talked about love. Today we're going to take the next step. The main issue here that we're talking about is commitment. Today we're going to be talking about fidelity. Last week we talked about the fact of infidelity. So what we're talking about here is fidelity. We're talking about commitment and what it truly means to be committed to one another and how that needs to be looked at and seen from, as believers in Christ in the world. See, the world looks at marriage in one way and God looks at marriage another way. The first thing I want to do is look at the way that the world sees marriage. Marriage is viewed in the world as a contractual thing. In other words, it's just a contract. It's just a piece of paper. We see this kind of stuff all the time where somebody goes to Las Vegas. Remember what happens in Las Vegas, what? Stays in Las Vegas. We go to these places like this and people get these quickie marriages. Things that happen right then and there on the spot. And then we see the follow-up a few hours, days, weeks later, which is called a quickie what? Divorce, where the separation are there, they want that annulled. We we don't know what happened. We just got overcoming all these things. It was just a contract. Does anybody understand the way a contract works? The way the contract works is basically this: when you say that you're going to buy something or have something, then you're going to get it, right? In other words, someone else is going to give that to you. That's a contractual view of how we look at things. I want to buy 1,500 widgets, and you're going to supply me 1,500 widgets, all right? And so basically, you just sign a contract for that, and it goes one way or the other. That's the way we see marriages today. And I want you to understand when we come in, we go into these contractual things, what happens is, is we realize that we were not made for each other. And when we realize that we're not made for each other, that God has not put us together, that God is not the center of that union, then it becomes very easy for us to just break the contract. It's already up there on the screen, but you know the number one reason for divorce is not adultery. The number one reason for divorce is irreconcilable differences. What happens is, is that over the course of time, we find out that we were not made to be together. Now, when we look at and see marriage this way, it makes it very easy for us to break the bond. 
This is not what God created. This is not what God wanted. So in the Old Testament, all the folks were wanting out of their contractual type based marriages. And so they came to Moses and says, hey, look, we want out of this. And if you want out of us, we need to be given a certificate of divorce to make it proper. And it's the same thing we do in the church today and all the other places where we, where we go and we try to have these unions disbanded. The Pharisees said this in Matthew chapter uh, 19, 3, and then verses 7 and 9. Jesus is speaking to them. The Pharisees have come to Jesus and testing him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And they said to him, why then did Moses give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus responds like this. In other words, it's okay for us. They're trying to justify their sin. They're trying to justify their response. They're trying to justify their actions. And Jesus says to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. So what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeats here. So we need to understand that Christ sets a standard for us. We are to live to that standard. And the way that the world views marriage is not the way we should view marriage. And now this is what should break our hearts, that the divorce rate inside the church is the same, if not higher, than the divorce rate in the world. So we don't understand and grasp this. Why? Because we forgot the true meaning of commitment. I made a statement last week, and when I got back to the car, Tamar said that this could have been caught off differently, and I just want to, one, reiterate what I should have been saying and correct it and let everybody understand what I should am trying to say. When you ask me to marry you, (laughs) I'm not God. That's the way it kind of came off last week. I am God's representative at that union because you need to understand that God's view of a marriage is different from the world. The world sees it as a contract. If you want to go into a contractual marriage, there are plenty of people that can marry you. You can go to the justice of the peace. You can go to a judge. You can go to a ship's captain if you're on board a ship. I mean, all kinds of folks have the ability to wed someone into a union. Why do you want a pastor or a preacher there? The reason for me to be a part of that is because I am God's representation in that. Meaning this, I want you to understand what the proper view of marriage is so that way when we enter into this union, we can have an understanding of truly what it means and the depth of it. Now look, I do premarital counseling and have done that. And I want you to understand this before too. And I don't say this um, in any kind of slight But I've had young couples come to me to ask me to marry them and start going through counseling and then decide not to get married. And I think that's a good thing. And the reason being is because as we went through the process and trying to understand what, how God sees marriage, and when we got to this point where I'm about to go right now, which is what this is all about, by the way, what communion's all about, is that the fact that God sees our relationship with him and each other differently than we view our relationships with him and each other. 
You see, if we have a contractual view of marriage and relationships here, then we look at our relationship with God as contractual as well. And when God doesn't give us what we want, we break our contract. Now, I want you to think about your relationship with God and your walk with God. Have there been points and times where you just kind of walked away from it? Where you've just laid it down? You need to understand that God does not see his relationship with you that way. Bible tells us over and over again is that once we're a follower of Christ, we're always in his hands. He does not let go. And the reason is because of the way he views this. So let's get to this. The way that God sees this and the way that the church should see this, the way that we should see this, is that when we're making a commitment and when we're entering into this relationship, it is a covenant view of marriage. Not a contractual view of marriage as the world sees this, but as a covenant view of marriage, a holy bond. Something we enter into not only with each other, but with God. That's why the pastor's there. That's why the words that we say mean things. We're going to talk about this in just a few more weeks. We're going to talk about vows and how our words mean things. So when we say these things, we're not only saying these things to each other, we're saying them to who? To God. Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 2, 7, give both our pictures of this. It said this in Genesis 2.24, and he answered them and said, Have you not read and ha- and that he created who, excuse me, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall be joined to, get, joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's in in Matthew chapter 19, excuse me. And then it's also given the passage that it comes from is Genesis chapter 2. And then it's also spoken of again in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 7. Hebrews 9, 16 says this, For where a covenant is, there must be the necessity of death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Okay? Let me explain all that and put this all together for you. When you take two pieces of paper together and you glue them together, have you ever done that before, glued two pieces of paper together? What happens when you try to take those two pieces of paper apart? All right, It tears and it rips. So there's holes. They're never whole again, right? All right. But what also happens is that one little bit of one piece of paper is connected to the other piece of paper, and then one little bit of the other sheet of paper is connected to the other. So there's pieces of you that you cannot take apart. In other words, what God has put together, man is not to take apart. And we try to take it apart, but what we don't realize is that there's pieces of us all over the place when we try to do that. And so when we try to disassemble what God has put together, we are trying to, in of our own accord as human beings, break a covenant with God. And this is where God, this is why God says all of what he says about adultery. The breaking of the covenant and the commitment is what causes us to 
also break how God views love. So one begets the other. Also, it says this. It says in Hebrews, in the passage in Hebrews, that the only way that we can get out of a covenant is to what? To die. The death of something. So the Old Testament, we talked about the law a lot. Jesus Christ came to die on a cross so that we didn't have to live under that law. In other words, his death brought us into what? A different relationship with God. His death did that. When you're married and you enter into a covenant with each other, that relationship does not end, even if it's tried to be torn apart, until what? Someone passes. Because you're entering into covenant with each other. See, We've lost the grasp of this. We've lost the fullness of this. We've taken apart marriage in our country. Why? Because we've taken apart covenant. We've lost love. We've turned it into lust. We've lost commitment. We don't understand what that means. Till death do us part in our marriage vows don't mean anything to us anymore. Because we view it as a contract that we can get in and out of any time that we want to. Now look, some of you may have gone through this. I'm not trying to cast dispersion on you personally on this. I'm just trying to tell you what God says, okay? And so as we see this in the fullness of picture, can God forgive all sins and all things that go wrong in our lives? Yes, Jesus Christ died to cover all of our sins. I'm just trying to explain this and help us to understand the gravity of the situation that we're in. So we shouldn't think of this type of union or togetherness as something that's not non-eternal. Because that's the way God views this. Now look, once we're in heaven, the scripture says that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But until that happens, we're husband and wife. And we should look at our lives that way. In other words, when we stand up there on, on the day that we get married, we should be shaking in our boots. That's funny, all right? That's a joke, y'all are not. Come on, help me out here in a little bit. Because we're going to spend what? The rest of our lives with each other. And it is actually the first day of the rest of our lives. It is something that is to be celebrated, yes. But we should see that union for what it is to us. All right, and when we break that, I want to go back and I'm just going to touch on this before I move on. It says, remember when it says right here, it's, but he said that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. Why, why is that so important? Scripturally, when we're joined together, we're responsible for the other one. So the husband is responsible for the wife. We're going to get there in just a minute. And the wife is responsible for the husband. So guess what? When the husband says, I want out, then he's responsible for that wife. And if she marries someone else, he, what, caused that? is responsible to God for that. Same thing with a woman. Enter into the covenant marriage. She wants out. 
then she is going to be responsible if he remarries and enters into that. Except for what? Unfaithfulness. So when the love relationship is broken, then the commitment relationship is broken. So how do we stop this? All right. God, please, Pastor Tim, get off of this. This is hard. This is just ridiculous. It happens to over half our marriages grow up. It's the culture we live in. It's just the way it is today. Move on, old man. No. My job is not to say you get a pass because God says we don't get a pass. My job is to stand up here and speak truth in love. So let's move to the love part, all right? So we know that this happens. We know that this happens half the time in this day and age of, the, of all the unions that take place. How do we stop this? We don't do this by continuing on like our culture continues on to redefine what a marriage is. We leave it defined how God defines it because it is a covenant relationship. So for us to move above and beyond that, we have to have that view. And as we have that view, these are the steps that we take. For above, we need to be devoted in faithfulness to each other. We need to understand what devotion truly means. A marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Hebrews 13, 4. We need to understand what marriage is, and then we need to hold it in high view. We need to honor it. God honors it, so we need to honor it. Psalm 76, 11. Make vows to the Lord and your Lord... To, uh, your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. We need to understand that our words mean things. And so when we make those vows, we need to honor those vows. Now look, Paul goes on in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians and he lists out something else. I didn't give you the passage here, but he also says not only unfaithfulness, but he says if the unbelieving spouse leaves. In other words, he takes a situation and a circumstance where a person is a believer and you become unequally yoked at that point. Paul says that, that someone who's faithful and trying to be faithful to God and the other spouse is not trying to be faithful to God and is unfaithful to God, maybe not through adultery or, or uh, uh, breaking the marriage covenant that way. But if that unbeliever leaves, now look, I've seen this happen. I've seen two people get together and be married, both of them being lost. I've seen one of the spouses come to faith in Christ and the other one couldn't handle it. Now, the one who was a believer stayed and tried and tried and tried. But the unbeliever finally had had enough of that religion and that faith and moved on. Paul says that we're not held accountable in that, that case when the unbelieving spouse leaves. Why? Because the relationship is different. Because one is connected to God in covenant, but one is not connected to God in covenant. So for us to live above and beyond that, we need to see what these vows and what these words are and how we need to go about trying to fulfill them. Sometimes there are circumstances that take place even after we're married. This is what I'm trying to say here. We make vows on a wedding day and sometimes the situation and the circumstances change because either one was a believer, one was not, or either no, neither one of them were a believer and someone became a believer. So we need to see that for fully what it is, but we need to follow through with devotion. 
Devoted is not a momentary, th- a momentary thing. <clears throat> if you're a Georgia fan this past year, it was real easy for you. If you were a Georgia fan when Ray Goff was coach, it was hard. We didn't win a lot of games. In fact, in some seasons, we lost more than we won. We're fair weather followers. When stuff is going good, we're all good. Me and Jesus are buds. But when stuff is going bad, we're ready to cut that rope and go figure it out ourselves. That is not devotion. That is not devotion at all. Now think of that as, as a spouse. Are all of your days marital bliss? Susan, is all of your days marital bliss with Eddie? Mostly. Or oh, I'm not going to call out anybody else. <laughs> I just knew hers weren't, so I just. <laughs> so I could go obviously. All of our days are not marital bliss, are they? Gosh, we, there's two distinct personalities. Sometimes opposites attract. Commitment together means that the things that make you better together outweigh the things that you can do by yourself. Look, that's the whole picture scripturally of the body of Christ. The things that we can do together are the things that we cannot do by ourselves. We are better together. Relationally, in a marriage, we are better together. She completes me. She really does. My children do not come to me for hugs and love. I'm like, get up. It's just a broken leg. It'll all heal. We'll get a cast. Quit crying. <clears throat> My adult children probably don't want me to mention this, but they still come to their mother for snuggles. It's almost like a daily thing, man. They ain't coming to me for none of that. <laughs> and that come from me for the wallet. That's exactly it. I get the wallet, she gets the love. But that completes that. Are you following me? That makes that whole relationship whole. It brings together what she is strong in, I am weak in. What she is weak in, I am strong in. That bond holds us together, but it helps us to see how we need and support each other. When we take that in a non-devoted fashion frivolously, and we look at it that way, then we, it's very easy for us just to walk away from it. So we need to put more thought up front. I would just to soon have less marriages than to have more broken ones. Let's think about this and put some forethought into it. So above is devoted in faithfulness. Secondly, for us to move beyond all this, we need to understand roles. And man, I can see right now, you, 
all the buses have little beeps on the back of them right now, right? You know, so when the bus starts to back up, it goes what? Beep, beep. Y'all are all beep, beeping right now because y'all are like, Pastor, you need to back that bus up. Where you're going right now, you just need to back up and not go there. But you know what? I'm all in today. All right? So for us to be above, we need to understand what devoted faithfulness is. For us to be beyond, we need to understand roles. Now let me read this to you. And then I want you to go look at your Bible, because this is what we've done to the Bible. All right? Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter. We've divided it up into chapters and verses. Okay? Go look in your Bible and see if there's not a break between chapter 5, verse 21, and chapter 5, verse 22. There's a break there, isn't there? It's almost like a paragraph break. Or in, if your Bible has typed uh, headings, subject headings, it's going to switch subjects. So what happens is, is that verse 21 gets left out of this conversation. But I'm going to tell you that verse 21 completes this conversation. Because verse 21 in Ephesians chapter 5 says this, And be subject to one another in fear of Christ. And then verse 22 says this, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might mighty sanctify her. That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might be Present to himself the, the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Let me stop there for a second. Are you catching this? We start right there where it says, wives be subject to your husbands. Whoo! That Bible stuff, there ain't no way I'm subjecting myself to him. But if we read that whole thing together and we read verse 21, it says that we are to be subject to one another in the what? Fear of Christ. See, that puts the honor of this bond in the correct relationship. You're not subject to him. You're subject to who? And if you read on, it says that the wife is subject to the husband, but that the husband is subject to who? God. So as you're both being subject to one another in fear of the Lord, you're responsible, ladies, to him, and he's responsible to God. And he's supposed to present you holy and blameless as Christ did to the church. He's supposed to be willing to die for you, to lay it all down for you. Do you think you got the raw end of the deal on that? No. Who's held more responsible in the marriage relationship in God's eyes? A man is. So if she's having a bad day, guys, you need to get with it. Because you're responsible for her. You don't need to hop on and pile on you need to figure out how you fix that. Ladies, 
Go and read Proverbs. It says that it's better for a man to live on a roof in the corner than to have a contentious wife. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Are you forcing him to the roof? Look, we're to live in relationship with each other. The bond puts us together, and then we have responsibility to each other and then to God. And if we see this for all of us, then we can live a relationship and a life that is honoring to God. If someone breaks that, in other words, they're not a believer or not a follower of Christ, or if they break that relationship, that covenant relationship, there are ways for us to get out. And those are okay in God's eyes. But we need to do our homework. Can I say this too? Because this is the one that always comes. As a pastor in counseling, is an abuse. But what about if he abuses me? I've got two things. I'm going to say this. First of all, separation is okay. If you separate from each other, I think it truly reveals what the other person sees about you. In other words, if he is verbally or physically abusing you and you separate from him, he is either going to try to aggressively bring you back or be repentant and then you can see how that response is going to be. So the first step is not to stay in it, but to separate from it. We just got through reading last week. It said flee from immorality. You need to flee from that. All right. The other thing is, is that we need to stop evangelistically dating each other or trying to form relations based upon evangelism. And what I mean by that is this. Oh, I love her, but... She's not a believer, but I can change that later. Oh, I love him. Yeah, he has a temper, but I can change that later. That's our hopes, wishes, and wants. That's evangelically thinking that something is going to change in that person's life, relationally, with God and with you. And we don't need to enter into unions that way. That needs to be fixed up front. And if you sort that out up front, it saves a lot of time and trouble later. Okay? And so for us to live above and beyond, we need to see what God sees in us and then how we are to view that total relationship with God. If we did that, what do you think would happen to the divorce rate in this country and in the world? It definitely would go down. When we start to fix the things at the very source of where they are, instead of looking at the very end and saying we need to fix that. Okay, I'm going to enter into one here, all right? I'm just going to make a statement. (laughs) Uh, Let me just read a bumper sticker. Saw a bumper sticker the other day. If guns kill people then spoons make people fat. (laughs) 
It's the person that took somebody else's life. We need to own up and have responsibility for ourselves. The spoon did not make me fat. I got here all by myself. So we need to be personally responsible in every aspect of our lives. Please hear me. I'm not in the condition of our country today condoning or taking a side on guns at all. All I'm saying is this. Responsibility. Responsibility. Accountability. Making sure that when we step, we step in the right direction out of God's grace and out of God's direction instead of out of our wants. Stop looking at our lives personally how it benefits us and start to see it as the whole. This is what Jesus is saying here. This is why he tells us to go above. This is why he tells us to go beyond. This is what this is all about. This is covenant. As often as you do this, do this in what? Remembrance of me. We're in a covenant relationship with God. We're in a covenant relationship with each other in marriage. We're in a covenant relationship with each other as the body of Christ. The hand is not the foot. The mouth is not the ear. We're bonded together. No one is here by chance. There's no such thing as fate. It's direction. It's purpose. And it's ordained by God. Let's start living like that. And if things have not been that way in the past in your life, that's what this is for. Do you get this? When we come to the communion table, we're reaffirming, reexamining, and re-upping our relationship with God. That's what this table's for. Not a soul in here is perfect. If today was where your life went out of bounds, next week will be where mine has gone out of bounds. And then the next week, most definitely, there's every single one of us has judged somebody. We're all out of bounds. Let's come to this place today. Let's reaffirm our relationship with God. And let's move forward. Let me pray for us and then I'll ask our deacons to come forward. Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I have no idea why you love us so much. I am not worthy of your love. And I'm sure that everyone else in here is the same. But you created us to have a relationship with you. And you see past our imperfections for what we can be. You created us. You have a purpose for us. You have a direction for our lives. You call us to things. And Father, as we have this time of communion, I pray that you will help us to renew that. Rededicate ourselves to being devoted. 
reaffirm our love relationship with you and recommit our lives. Father, it's these things I pray for in Christ's name. Amen. As our deacons come forward.